0: We're continuing our series, This Beautiful Mess. We've been looking at the kingdom of God. Jesus came on to the scene and he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the good news. When we hear the idea, the kingdom of God, at least when I have heard it in the past, my mind immediately goes to, Somewhere in the future, when you die, there's the kingdom of heaven. And for many people, it's just two steps above a fairy tale. The kingdom of heaven is not something that impacts our lives. It's not something that we see taking place or breaking through in our midst. But Jesus comes onto the scene, and with the king comes the kingdom. He says, the kingdom is near, it's present, it's among you. And he tells us that we need to to turn and we need to believe this good news. And so we've been talking about the kingdom of God and what it really means and how it's supposed to be not only thought of, but how we are supposed to partake of it. We talked about how the Hebrew mind saw it as a reality. It was a progression of God moving forward in the covenants that he had made with Abraham, with David, Through the prophets, it is something that God was continually progressing and establishing here on earth. And their idea was it was real. It was a reality. It was something that was going to establish. There was going to be another king that sat on the throne just like David. And that was part of their trouble is the idea they had didn't match the person they were seeing and who Jesus was. And we saw through the parables of Jesus' teaching that the kingdom of heaven is already here, and yet it's still something that is going to come. We looked at the, the wheat and the tares, how they grew up together, and he would say the kingdom of heaven is like this. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, it's the tiniest of seeds, but it grows into something huge, or it's like leaven that's in this bread that permeates through the whole lump of dough, and then it becomes bigger and bigger, and so the kingdom of heaven is here, it is now, and it is growing, it is moving forward, but it's happening now. It's breaking through now in the the midst of this world that's full of its heartache, that's full of calamity, full of things that are very dark and depressing. There are these rays of light that break through that we are able to see the love and the power and the goodness of God in the midst of some God-awful things. And that's why the title, This Beautiful Mess, because... There is beauty that can be found even in this dark world that we live in, as God shows up, and he shows up through his people. Last week, we talked about how we are supposed to make a priority of this kingdom. If this is a reality, then we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that our lives are to be influenced by the awareness of this kingdom. You see, I don't want a Christianity that is useless. I, I don't want a Christianity that when I die, then I get the, the goods. And so you just kind of live with the hopes that someday, you know, I'm going to die. It's like, oh boy, why not just end it now so you can go on. I mean, that's this kind of mentality that takes place many times. It's just, well, Christianity is life insurance. When you die, it's fire insurance, so you don't go to hell. And it's this idea of, you know, you'll get something later on, but right now you just got to not have fun and just kind of move through life and be very pious and proper. But the kingdom of God is exciting, it's powerful, it's dynamic, it's life-changing, it's engaging. It rattles how you think and what you do and it moves you to places you never thought you would go and it's supposed to because the reality of the kingdom of heaven here should affect our lives right now. And, and so, what does this look like? What does the characteristics of the kingdom of heaven look like in a person's life? Because God's economy is very different than ours. It's a little upside down. When you hear of someone who has the good life, what are some things? What's the good life? What are some thoughts? Shout it out. Money. Money. Swimming, pool. Swimming pool. That's the good life. All right. Especially in the summertime. Fast cars, that's the good life. Air conditioning, conditioning, woo! We got the good life here. Not like that church out in Georgia. (laughs) What's that? The beach every day, the good life. And, and so the good life is all about these things. If you're young and good looking, you're, you've got the good life. You have money. You have a nice house. You have nice stuff. You're able to enjoy the good things of life. And so to us, the good life is all about these things. And what we do is we equate the idea of blessings and the good life, don't we? They're blessed. Why? Because they got a nice car they got good health, they got lots of money. Oh, the Lord bless me, I got a raise. And we don't say it, but we think it very often. We think that the blessings of God are on those who have the good life. We don't think of it as the blessings of God are on those who are financially unstable. Oh, they're so blessed. We don't say that. Why? Because we don't think that. You don't think that in your situation. When you get that bonus check or you get something that you weren't expecting financially, you think, ah, I'm blessed. When you get that letter from the IRS saying you owe money, you don't think, oh, I'm blessed. (laughs) Our minds don't go there. and So we equate blessing with kind of the good life. With having things that make life easier. And then Jesus comes into the scene and he says, let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you have, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Alex will get you one. Keep your hand up. Now about a year or so ago, probably a little bit longer now, we went through this series on the beatitudes that we called a better life. Michael Turner went through it recently on Thursday night as well. It's a very well-known passage of scripture, not necessarily well understood, but it's well known. And so in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And so here's the, the scenario. Here's the framework of what's taking place. Jesus goes, and there's crowds following him. And he goes up on the hill a little way so he could speak, and his voice can carry to the people. The crowd that is there with him. The crowd of people, it's important to know who he's talking to because he's directing his words specifically to them. The crowd of people are commoners, they're far, farmers. Most of them are illiterate. They can't read. Most of them are impoverished. They, they live from meal to meal, not from paycheck to paycheck, but from meal to meal. They are doing all they can just survive, and and so these aren't the cream of the crop. These are people who are uneducated, people who are struggling to make it through, and so Jesus goes on and he speaks to them, and he said, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Father, as we go through your words this morning, give us understanding. May they break through our ideas of what blessed is. May they reshape how we not only think, but how we live. May we give attention. What you are saying to us this morning. We ask it in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. This list of things that Jesus says, these Beatitudes, this isn't a to do list or a how to list. He's not saying you want to be blessed, this is what you do. You mourn. What is, do I have to kill my dog? You know, what do I have to do to mourn? Okay, I want to be blessed, so I got to do something. It's not a how-to list. What he is doing is talking to the people who are there. And he's pulling out the things that they are experiencing, and he's letting them know that the kingdom of heaven is here in your midst right where you are at. And so where they would think, well, to to be blessed by God, I have to be one of these religious leaders or I have to be one of these financially stable people. I have to be just like the list of things that we mentioned, to have a a blessed or a good life. These are the things I require to have that life. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you how it really is. And he goes through this list of things. And, And the word blessed... It's not a word that we use regularly. It has to do with, it's good with God. It's almost like saying congratulations, because God has approval on this. And he starts off with this one, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. You know, once you hear the idea poor, you can put blessed are the poor, dot, 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 because it really, once you say poor, who wants it? We don't move towards poverty, we try and move away from it. Poverty is when you're lacking something. And Luke's gospel just says, blessed are the poor. And so this idea, blessed are the poor, it's good with those who are poor. What what good is being poor? I mean, let's admit it. Anyone here trying to be poor? Yeah, I'm trying to get a new job. Yeah, I'm just making too much money. The one I have, I'm just looking for something with less money so I can be poor. And then so poor in spirit. Let's get poor in spirit. What does that mean? And if If poor in spirit, if if the economy is basically currency, if spirituality was currency, it would mean you have five bucks to your name. If your spiritual life was amounted to money, you don't have much. These aren't the people who know what's going on theologically. Again, these are the people Jesus is talking to. This is the farmer who's sitting, leaning on his rake with his teeth missing, who's not going to go home and read a book on theology. He's not going to go and understand what they're talking about. In fact, he's the guy who says, I don't really get it. All this talk about God and all these, these rituals, I just don't connect with it. I don't understand This is your common Joe, just goes to work, goes home, tired, sits down, probably never is going to read a book. It's all he can do to go to work, come home. I was just thinking Thursday night we were talking and Gil was talking about his dad who was a truck driver. And he would go home and then he'd come and he'd lay on the floor, be watching TV, and then just fall asleep while the kids are all jumping all around him. He could just pass out anywhere. And Jesus is saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who don't have the wherewithal to know about all these spiritual things. And he says, For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It it belongs to them. These are the people who would not be expected to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. You see, we think blessed are the ones who are spiritually rich. Those who have it together. Those who know the scriptures backwards and forwards. And Jesus is saying, congratulations, if you are bankrupt spiritually kingdom of heaven belongs to you you see and i believe that those who recognize their poverty are the ones that god is able to make rich those who think they have it all together there's no room no my bank is cool my my bank is full my life is good enough kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to them he goes on and he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now we have a difficult time with this one and with mourning. We don't know how to act around people that are mourning. Have you noticed that? If someone is going through a difficult time and you see them, it's almost like, oh no, there they are. What do I say? You know, they, they've lost someone that they love or they're dealing with a serious illness and you see them and immediately you think i've got to talk about the problem and you want them to respond to that it's like oh you're going through an illness so how are you and you want them just well here's what's going on you just expect them to pour out their heart every time well this is what's going on and break down and start crying but that's not really what you want because that's uncomfortable So how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Okay, good, good. I'm glad you're okay. Bye. You know, we'll just kind of keep moving along. C.S. Lewis in his book, A Grief Observed, when he talks about when he lost his wife, how people didn't know how to deal with him. And he says, it's almost like you should just put us on an island somewhere so that we're out of the way. We just don't want to have to acknowledge the mourning, the pain. It's not something we're comfortable with. And mourning is not something we want. It's something we want to get away from. but life is filled with mourning. And it doesn't matter who you are and it doesn't matter when it will happen, but it will happen. You will experience mourning. And to mourn, you have to have loved something and you have to have lost it. There has to be something missing, something that was there that is now taken away, whether it's love, whether it's health, You are now missing something that was important to you. And Jesus comes on and he says, blessed are those that mourn. They will be comforted. And he treats mourning as if it's a gift from God. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. You see, there is something that takes place when we mourn, that doesn't take place any other time. There is a depth of character that develops in a time of mourning that will not develop any other time. I wish it would, but it just doesn't. There is a growth that we experience through times of sorrow that cannot be experienced any other way. That forces us to a place of dependency, a place of humility, a brokenness that is necessary. And so, mourning in this kingdom is actually a blessing. Because it it opens our awareness to important things. And so Jesus says to those who are dealing with this, blessed are those who mourn. You'll be comforted. There is something for you, even in your mourning. Right where you're at, right here, right now, there is the approval of God. God would say, congratulations. Your mourning, you will be comforted. Again, it's not what we think. It's not what we want. But there is something contained there that God gives favor to. And Jesus is trying to make us aware of this. So that we don't run away from it. So we don't hide it. So we don't bury it within us. so We don't ignore it. That we can deal with it and know that there is something in it that God is able to redeem and make good. Even in that morning. He goes on and he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, when we hear the meek, we're kind of, I don't know, dyslexic. I I look at meek and I just turn the M into a W and I kind of think weak. I know it's spelled different, but you know what I mean. Some of you are out there going, oh, no, it's not spelled the same. Get out of here. No. That's what we think. Meek, I think weak. And this strikes against everything that we know. The meek will inherit the earth. That's not who we see inheriting the earth, is it? I mean, think even the the politics that we know. The people who are running are the people of substance. They're people who have wealth. It's not Joe the plumber. You know, I think I'm gonna be president. I'm gonna fix things. He doesn't stand a chance. No, you have to have someone backing you. You have to have money. You have to have all this in your corner if you're even going to have a shot at it. And so now Jesus comes and he says, the meek will inherit the earth. And the word meek is actually a word that comes from training horses. When you have a stallion that's strong and powerful, Horses are amazing. And horses, they say, can just read you. They can tell if you're afraid. So you've got this huge stallion, and you come walking up to it, and, and if it hasn't been broken and made to be rideable, it'll look at you, and it'll size you up and it'll say, you ain't worthy to ride me. You ain't getting on my back. And it'll prove it. But a horse that has all that power that is then made so that you can ride it is called meek. And so the idea of meekness is power that's under control. You see, the people who are meek are not the people who force themselves in the conversation. I think it's easier to understand meekness sometimes by the opposite. People who aren't meek. People who boast about themselves. You ever sit at that dinner table? The guy is only talking about himself and all the things he did and all the cars he has and all the blah, 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 and it goes on and on and on. It's like, that guy's not meek. And you just feel like saying, wow, you really like yourself, don't you? But meekness is the person who doesn't speak up. I remember one time I was at a park, this was years ago, and I was with a friend of mine named Daryl, and Daryl is a guitar monster. The guy is just phenomenal. The guy can shred, he plays tasteful, you name it, he he can play. And we were at the park, and Daryl and I were there, and Daryl had his guitar, and some guy came up, and he goes, Oh man, I play guitar. And the guy started, he goes, can I see your guitar? And Daryl said, sure, you can play my guitar. And the guy started playing his guitar, and the guy was like, not quite mediocre. But the guy goes, yeah, I learned all these songs. And he's playing, and, and Daryl's just sitting there, and I'm just thinking, oh, oh, wait till Daryl gets the guitar. Oh, 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 this is going to just shut this guy up and shut him down, and this guy is going to just crawl away in the dirt. Because the guy just wasn't very good. And so he played in there and goes, oh, that's cool. And then Daryl got his guitar back and he didn't play. And I was like, come on, man. Do it. Do your thing. Press the button. Flames flying off the guitar. Yeah, you know, this is what I do for fun. But he didn't do it. And the guy left and I just was impressed with, that was meekness. He had the ability to show up and really impress. But he didn't. He didn't have to show that. It was that power under control. And I think sometimes we wonder, what did Jesus mean by inherit the earth? Because it's not what we see taking place. You know, another definition or in the definition of meekness is the word fluid. Fluid. And you think of an egg. If you have an eggshell, it's easy to crush it. But the egg yolk, if it's in your hand, it'll slip right through. It's not something that's easy to be crushed. And this idea of meekness is that it is something that will not be broken. It is something that will be able to be sustainable. It's something that will... Last. And I think we see the, the greatest def- definition of meekness in Jesus himself. Here is someone who had all power but gave his life up, that he wouldn't assert himself. And I wonder if we have the resolution to be like Jesus and to be meek. See, the disciples, they were already, Peter said, hey, Lord, I'll die for you. When they came for Jesus, Peter took his sword, cut off the man's ear. I think he was going for the head, but he got an ear. Jesus healed the guy's ear, and then Jesus said, no, this isn't how it's gonna work. And then when they saw Jesus wasn't going to back them, they all fled. They all ran away. All their power was in the fact that, well, if Jesus is with us, man, we can do this. When Jesus was gone, they fled. You see, Jesus had the ability to be meek. They didn't. Jesus had the ability to allow them to come, take him, submit himself to that. They didn't. And then when he says inherit the earth, the idea of inherit is something when you get something that is left to a family member. You know, you you leave something. When you inherit, you think of a will. Yeah, I inherited the house or whatever it was. It's something that you give to that person in your family. And so... What God is saying is the only one I am going to entrust this earth to are those who are meek. The one who I'm going to leave this to is the one's, who are meek, not the ones who have it all together, not the ones who are super strong, not the ones who boast of themselves, who have it all together. The ones who I'm going to leave everything to are the ones who are meek. What would happen if people who were meek actually did run our government? What would happen? People who were under control. What would happen if your boss was meek? How would it affect our environment? How would it affect the world around us? And Jesus is saying, the only ones I am going to leave this earth to, or that God's going to leave this earth to, are the ones who are meek. The ones who are under this control. He goes on, And he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And there Jesus goes again. He says things and they just aren't what we would think. Blessing are the ones who are righteous. Blessed are the ones who are righteous. The ones who've got it all together and the idea of righteousness who are in right standing. Blessed are the ones who are are in right standing with God. Yes, yes. They're the ones blessed, but Jesus is looking at this crowd and he's talking to the farmers and he's talking to the workers, the slaves, and he says, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty to be in right standing. You know what? God cares more about what you desire sometimes than what you actually do. He cares about the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance The Pharisees put on a good show. They prayed all the time. They read. They did all this great stuff. But in their hearts, Jesus said, they were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. And a person who is hungry and thirsty for what is right, there is a desire there that Jesus says, I can fill that desire. And the question comes, what are we hungry and thirsty for? What is it that our desires are craving? Because that's going to tell you where you are. You want to be blessed by God. You want to get that congratulations from God. Then he says, I will give that to those who are hungry, thirsty for righteousness. When you're hungry for something, it means you don't have it yet. You want it. You're hungry for food. Why? Because you're, empty. Your stomach is desiring it. And so once again, Jesus says, this kingdom, what it looks like, it looks like people who are hungry and thirsty for what is right. Those who want things to be made right with themselves and in the world around them. People who are desiring this to take place within them. God has favor on those who desire to be what they are not. God has favor and will give himself to those. If you will give God the worst of who you are, he in turn will give you the best of who he is. If you are hungry to be like him, he will satisfy that hunger. What are you hungry for? What do you desire What do you want to be like? Is it boasting in yourself? Is your good life, is your life blessing all about you? Getting more money, getting more stuff, getting more status? Because this kingdom is different. It belongs to those of a different character. And Jesus is again revealing that character to us. He goes on. Verse 7 Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When you think of Christianity, as merciful what comes to mind, Christians are very merciful. Is that what Christianity is known for? Or are we known for Judging. I think it's interesting that one of the foundational things that Jesus says are supposed to be in our life, this idea of being merciful, seems to be one of the things absent in most people who are identified with Christ. We're all about letting people know what they should and shouldn't do. We're all about the rules. We're all about establishing, well, no, you can't do that, can't do that. We're all about judging so that people know what is right. And Jesus comes on, he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Now, he's not condoning sin, but what he is doing is saying mercy is required. And, and it's a conditional thing, it's much like what Jesus says, those who forgive will be forgiven. It's a requirement, If you want to have mercy, you need to be a person who's merciful. And unlike meekness, which is controlled strength, mercy is when compassion and power come together. You see, to have mercy on someone, that person has to have done something wrong. And that person also who is showing mercy has to be in a pers- in a position of power. You're able to give mercy because of your position. Mercy cannot be earned, otherwise it's not mercy. Mercy has to be given. And so Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are in a position who have the ability to give mercy to those who have done Wrong. Because they in turn will be shown mercy. Which then brings us to the thought have you done anything wrong? Do you need mercy? Yeah, sure do. Then mercy is a requirement for us. I think of uh, the movie Gladiator. You guys remember when Joaquin Phoenix is brought in and he becomes Caesar and he's just this dark, evil man. And he goes to his sister who he's going to try and marry. Yeah, it's a bad thing. And he says, am I not merciful? I use that line as a father throughout my life. (laughs) My kids. (laughs) Am I not merciful? You see this idea of you have to try and assert mercy, something's wrong. Another movie that comes to mind is Schindler's List. Remember the the Nazi commandant of the concentration camp who was just uh, sadistic person who enjoyed seeing these people suffer. And Schindler says up, you know, you know he shows up and he tells them, you know, it's greater strength to be able to show mercy. And then this commandant is there in front of the mirror and he's going, I forgive you. And then someone does something wrong, you know, they drop something because of fatigue and they're exhausted and instead of just beating them or having them killed he says, I forgive you and he's trying to practice it, but he can't do it very long. And the reason he can't is because it's not in him. You can't act merciful. You have to be merciful. You can't show mercy unless mercy is a part of who you are. I remember when my mom became a follower of Christ before me, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be a drag. Okay, that's okay. I can act nice too. I remember thinking this. Well, because she's all of a sudden, it's like she's all happy and all like, oh, okay, it's going to get old. And <laughs> I'm just telling you what I was thinking. And so I said, it's okay. I can act nice too. I'll just act all happy. I'll just act like I know God and everything too. And I remember there came a place where I said, you know what? I just can't act this way. It's not who I am. And mercy is something that has to be a part of who we are. You can't just act it out. You have to be a person of mercy. And the best way to be a person of mercy is to be a person who receives mercy. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been the person who needed mercy? Have you ever been the person who has done wrong to someone you love, someone you care about, And if you could, you would go back in time and you would erase that wrongdoing. But now it's here and you're guilty. There's no denying it. What do you want more than anything else? Mercy. I want you who know who I am to forgive me. And this is part of the kingdom of God. The example, again, of Jesus, who had all power, a position of authority, has the right to show mercy, and he shows compassion. He's the perfect example of being merciful. Verse 8, he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I love this one. Once again, though, we think this is something, oh, blessed are the pure in heart, because someday they'll die, and they'll get to go to heaven, they'll see God. See, but the merciful part and, and the things that Jesus is talking about here are present tense. Meekness, it's a present tense. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, it's something that's happening now. Blessed are the pure in heart and they will see God. I, I think there is something that's supposed to be happening right now. And the ability to see God now, not just when you die. We know that there are people who are colorblind, who, who can't see certain colors. I shared this before. One of my sons is colorblind. He can't see pastel colors. And what's the first thing you do when someone, you find out someone's colorblind? What color is this? It's some sadistic thing in us, right? And he was tormented by his siblings, what color is this? What color is this? Then he just ignore them. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone. And it's not that the colors aren't there. There are pastel colors. Whether you like them or not, it's a different story. But there are pastel colors, and he just can't see them. Doesn't mean they're not there. He is just unable to see them. And I think many times we are unable to see God because there is a lack of purity in our hearts. And so, it's not that God isn't there to be seen, it's just we can't see him. We all want to see God, but do we want to be pure in heart, with genuine, clear motives? Could it be we were actually created to see the invisible, but the reason we can't is because of the condition of our souls? In, in Hebrews chapter 11:27, it says, "By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible." He saw him who is invisible. He saw God. But it's said of Moses, See, before he could get to this place where he could see him who is invisible, it was said of Moses that he would talk to God as a person talks to his friend face to face. He had this relationship and this dynamic with God that he was able to converse with him. He had this communion with God. There was a purity in his heart that enabled him to have a conversation with God that enabled him to see him who is And I think many times the reason we cannot see God is because of the things within our hearts. There is greed, there is lust, there is anger, there is hatred, there is a lot of things that are clouding up our ability to see God. And just as our eyes are able to see the things around us, our souls, if they're filled with all these things, will not be able to see God. And there has to be a cleansing of our soul to be able to see what is invisible. And the way that cleansing comes about is through what Jesus has done. Let's go on so we can finish these here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Peacemakers. Not peacekeepers. Peacemakers. You see, to keep the peace, you can do nothing. You can be abstinent and keep the peace. I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to keep the peace. But to make peace, you have to be engaged. You have to participate in something. And this particular beatitude is evidence that we are the children of God. In a sense, this is the DNA of God, those who actually bring peace, They bring peace to the situation. Again, sometimes it's easier to see the reverse. Do you guys know people who cause strife? They go into a room. There's a a group of people and they get in a fight almost every time. Do you guys know people? I, I know people like that. And it's like, you, they go into this place and they go, oh, and the fight breaks out. And they go, What's wrong? I don't know, man. I don't know what's going on. This guy's just mad-dogging me, man. And all of a sudden, you know, got this fight. It's like, no, you come into this room and there's just this, I'm going to choose someone on and there's this attitude about them or people who bring stress. You know, people like that. They come into the room and it's just, woe is me. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, my life stinks. Man, it really sucks right now. Yeah, I lost my job, lost my cat, lost my shoes. I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I lost everything. I got nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, man. Life just stinks right now. Can you help me? Oh, man, you just bummed me out. You're just like, uh, and They just come in and this cloud just covers them. They're like Eeyore walking around. What if you can bring peace with you? Where you can engage in a conversation and you can make peace with a person. Or have two people come together and have peace between them. Where you can engage them in a conversation and actually bring peace. Jesus says, You're like God's children when you do that, when you bring resolution and not conflict when you produce something that causes peace rather than the problem. This is, of course, about relationships. When he's talking about making peace, it's talking about with people, how you bring this about with people. That's why we did our series on relationships. Romans twelve eighteen says, if it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Bring peace. Make peace. Don't just keep the peace. Make it. Be active. In closing, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He begins with the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He ends with theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, these are characteristics of of those who are a part of this kingdom. This is how the kingdom of God shows up in our lives. These beatitudes are characteristics that are supposed to be taking place. And if we are persecuted for living a life like this, Jesus says, congratulations. That's good. You're on the right track. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you if these are the characteristics of your life. And so this idea of the kingdom of heaven, because that's what we're talking about here. It's something that is to be showing up in our lives. And these beatitudes, these characteristics are how it can be seen. We don't go out and try and make them happen. It's just who we are. And it's the crowd that Jesus was speaking to. And I don't think this list is exhaustive. I don't think Jesus put, this is all the people that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anyone else. I I think there are other things that are as well fitting into this idea of God's blessing. And and maybe you're in a position right now, blessed are the single and those who are lonely. Lonely. Blessed are those who are are broken physically. Blessed are those who are struggling emotionally. Do you see that the kingdom of heaven, the potential for God to show up in your life is right here, right now, right where you are at in the condition you are in? Whether you are a farmer in Israel in the first century or you're a hairdresser here in Upland, the kingdom of heaven is waiting to show up through you, in you, right here, right now. The blessing of God, the good life, is not if you make more money, not if you get more stuff. The good life for us right now, the blessing of God, comes to those who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, those who make peace, those who live these lives of righteousness, those who mourn. The kingdom shows up there. The kingdom shows up here. Is this who we are? That's the challenge. What are we going to do with Jesus' words to us? Let's pray. Lord, every time I read this passage, I am struck by how unique you are, how upside down this is to the world that we live in, how contradictory it is to our mindset and what we have been told. And I find myself naturally falling back into that place where blessing means getting. Where it's all about how much I know, how much I can do. And I read your words and I see this place of lack, this emptiness, that is really who I am. And instead of trying to act a certain way, I need to acknowledge my bankruptcy. I need to admit that I hurt, I'm worn, that I'm hungry for righteousness. I want to be someone I'm not. And it's there that you meet us. It's there that you are able to give us your righteousness. That is the good news. Good news is that the righteousness comes through you, Jesus. And so here we are this crowd of people, just like that crowd of people, our condition, just like their condition, and you're speaking to us now. If we are going to participate in the work you're doing, if your kingdom is going to break through in this dark world, this is how it's going to look in us. May we be challenged by these words. May they stay in our head. May we fight off the tendency to just sink back into the culture that's just give me. And instead, come to you and give. Thank you, Lord, for again this time. Lord, I pray that you would bless those who are here as we move on. Lord, bless the the work that is being taken place here at Genesis. May you continue to provide for our needs. May you continue to supply the things necessary, Lord that we can reach out to our community and to those around us. Lord, give us hearts that are like yours. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.